0: One small step for man One giant leap for mankind Columbia, Columbia, Hello and welcome back to the draft season podcast brought to you by the Knickswall.com. As always, I am your host, Nick Carinanti. And with me today, I have a very special guest, one of the hardest working people in the draft community and one of the best guys out there. If you don't follow him, you're going to change that after this podcast. I'm very happy to have Rafael Barlow. Rafael, how are you doing?
1: Man, I'm good. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your podcast and talk draft.
0: Oh, the absolute pleasure. Go ahead and tell the audience a little about yourself, in case they are not already familiar.
1: All right, where do I begin? Um, born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, you know, no background in in the NBA. Didn't have anybody kind of pave the way for me. And when I was a kid, I just fell in love with the draft. It was always something that I wanted to do. And you know, like most people, it start off as a dream. Then I got sidetracked, ended up, you know, working the job that it was okay, but it wasn't something that I, I loved doing. And then when I was 30, I had got laid off from a job and I was like, man, this workforce is unstable. If it's going to be unstable, I might as well just double down and bet on myself and, and um, you know, just try to figure out a way to, to work in sports and went on this like long journey of trying to figure out what exactly... I wanted to do. My goal is to be like an NBA GM. And so I didn't know which route to take. And you know, I interned with the Texas legends and ended up doing some skills training with some guys and ended up, uh, I'm a videographer. So that opened up a lot of doors for me to travel and and so on. And then in 2016, I was like, you know what, I want to be a scout. I think I can do this. I was motivated by Draft Express moving on to ESPN, and I felt like that left a, a hole in the draft world at that time to create video content. Now there's so many video breakdowns on YouTube, but at that time, Draft Express kind of had a, a monopoly on it in a sense. And um, I just something just came in my head that I thought about. I'll probably talk about that later. And uh, from there, I created my own website covering the draft, and I knew, like, you know, if I want to work for a team or possibly be an NBA scout, I can't, like, apply for that job on, like, Teamwork.line <laughs> or online, you know, that whole website. Nobody's going to give me a job without any experience, so I'm just going to use my website and use YouTube as a, as a resume. And, um, you know, for I did that for a while, and then I, I got my big break in 2020, and I was living in China, and I ended up coming back and uh because of covid and at that time i said you know i'm gonna do a podcast and i just cranked out episodes every single day on youtube random fans or random people that commented on my youtube page like hey you want to come on and give me your, your your mock draft and it caught the attention of the locked on network and then from there locked on gave me a locked on nba draft podcast which caught the attention of chad ford who's well known from his espn days and then we did a live draft show last year and then Chad retired in April and then he just left me his newsletter. And so it's, it's still kind of surreal in a sense, but um, you know, it, it's been a, I mean, people may think I've kind of come out of nowhere overnight, but it's been like six years that I've been doing this. So it, it's been a little bit of time.
0: Yeah. And just putting out fantastic content on the NBA big board, newsletter.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I I enjoy it. Sorry. That's kind of a long winded answer. No, I think (laughs) more than what you, what you were looking for, but that's a little bit about my background.
0: No. And I'm, I'm glad you gave that whole story because it's been really fun to follow your journey throughout as, as that process has changed and you've come through those different steps. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I I hope the the audience appreciates all the work you put in. And I definitely recommend subscribing to the, the NBA big board newsletter uh, it's really, really some of the best draft content out there.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's it's a crowded space now. You know, a lot of people are doing it, creating their own content, which, which I think is awesome. You know, the, the more content out there, the better, you know, the whole draft community would be. So I'm just kind of, I shouldn't say kind of, but I'm just thankful that I'm, that I'm in the position that I, that I am in and that I kind of have somewhat of a platform in, in this field. So, I'm thankful every day.
0: We appreciate you, and we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the wings in this draft class. We've already talked about the the guards, and we've talked about the bigs. But there's some really, really intriguing wings in this class, and the wings range in a, in a lot of ways of, of what they do. But I want to talk about some of the more – the, the lottery-type prospects and some of the more offensive – twos and threes okay so that's who we're going to be talking about today and I want to start it out with I guess who who you would call the mystery man of of the lottery and that's Shaden Sharp yep we've talked about him a a few times on on the podcast but what I want you to do is sell him to somebody who's not seen him sell him to me because I'm pretty low on him
1: (laughs) nobody's seen him
0: Unless you have that
1: EYBL problem. footage, nobody's seen them. So, you know, I I tell people, if you haven't seen them and you have your concerns, you're pretty much in the same position as NBA teams and execs. The only problem is you're not the one that has to take the risk. But the sample size is really small.
0: Yeah, and I know in your mock draft, you you referenced this scout that that kind of, and you tweeted this out as well, that implied that somebody was keeping Shaden Sharp, you know, away, right? Maybe not him, but a handler of of sort that was kind of afraid of putting him out there to see what, what the result would be.
1: Yeah. um, You know, he didn't play at all. He didn't practice much, which is kind of shocking to me. You know, I always heard that he had practice, but from the, the source or the scout that I talked to, he said he didn't really practice that much either. And I saw there's an article, I saved it, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, and The Athletic that probably gave a little bit more details. was probably consistent to what, what I was saying. But it, it's kind of, it's tough. I mean, I, I get both sides of it. If you're the, the agent or the advisor, your job is to make sure that he's in the best position and to protect his draft stock. And if his draft stock is already high without him having to prove anything, then, you know, you want to keep it that way. You don't want to put them in a situation where you risk it. Um, And you can just look at guys like Patrick Baldwin, Peyton Watson, Yannick Sosa. These guys would have been Jaden Hardy, probably top 14 picks, lottery picks, if they never played basketball this season. They played and it hurt their stock a little bit. So from that standpoint, I get it. From the team standpoint, it's like, all right, do you want to compete? Like, not only do we not know a lot about you, but, you know, as far as what you can do on the court, but are you competitive? Like, can you tell – and, I mean, this I hate comparing guys to outliers, but, like, could you tell Michael Jordan? Could you tell Kobe Bryant? Could you tell Kevin Garnett, don't play? (laughs) Don't help your team. Just chill out and protect your draft stock and you know i mean it just it puts all the pressure on the team so he is the biggest wild card i was at his pro day i thought it was good i mean you saw what everybody had heard about him he was athletic you know great frame size but on one hand you it kind of confirmed what you already had heard about him or what you had seen on highlights but it didn't it also it didn't really give you much either because the pro days are like heavily scripted and the pro days are all going to make the client look good. So it's it's a tough situation. I'm honestly thankful that I'm not I mean, of course I would love to be a GM one day, but I'm I'm thankful that I'm not having to make a decision on my franchise based off of this teenager that I have very little info and details on.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's why I mean, there's, there's always an, a natural risk, but the sample size matters so much, especially when you're comparing him to, you know, there's some older guys in the lottery that are going to be classified with the high the high floor type of, you know, your Keegan Murrays and Johnny Davis, whoever, whoever it may be. And you're going to take somebody with, forget a small sample size, really no sample size. Yeah, none. Yeah, I mean...
1: You know what high level prospect didn't look good in high school.
0: And that's where I always come back to, right? Mm -hmm. You named a a few examples from this draft class. I think to BJ Boston last year with the Kentucky connection and then just these guys that were your your top five pick going, you know, coming out of high school. And it just wasn't there at the higher level.
1: Yeah, my my big thing last year was I I couldn't understand, and for the life of me, I still don't understand how Zaire Williams was given the benefit of doubt while B.J. Boston wasn't. And some of that could be, you know, it could be out of context. Maybe I didn't know, you know, all the factors that went on behind it, which I ended up hearing about it a couple of weeks ago, but I I still don't think the gap between them was wide. If I'm not mistaken, BJ went like 52 or something like that. And uh, Zaire went in the lottery. Um, And even now, like with this experience that I have, it's still some stuff in the draft that I just completely don't understand. And one of them is why it's Shaden Sharp likely going to be drafted over Johnny Davis. <laughs> like what has he done? And I, if I'm not mistaken, they're only like a year apart. So, um, cause Johnny Davis was on the under 19 team last summer. So he's, yeah, I imagine he's pretty young for his class.
0: Yeah. That's the one that I keep coming back to. And we've, we've talked a bit about Johnny Davis. I had Tyler Metcalf from no ceilings to, to talk about him. And I, I love Johnny Davis. I, I know what Johnny Davis is and I still think he can grow and develop, but I just can't. I can't talk myself into Shaden Sharp in that same way. And even yeah. still, you know, there's been a lot of rumors and, and buzz around him even potentially going at four to the Kings.
1: Yeah. And-
0: um, <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, on one hand, if you're the Kings, you haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. So what do you have to lose? <laughs> On the other hand, you you still have to be concerned about the, the unknown. I mean, every prospect is you don't know what they're going to do in the NBA anyway. But I would personally feel a little bit safer with the guy. At least I've seen him play college basketball.
0: Yeah, and that's the other thing is you you mentioned his age. He's not that young.
1: Yeah, he's not young for his class for sure.
0: He's 19. There are guys in this class younger than him. Yep. And for someone with the lack of experience and that sort of weird sample size that we're talking about, you would like him to be a little younger, right? We talked about Jalen Duran last week on the pod, who's 18 and a half. The next guy we're going to talk about, A.J. Griffin, still 18. So you have guys with that sort of age and that sort of high upside idea that played college basketball that are younger.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's, such
0: a weird evaluation for me. And I just, I can't buy into it at the way that he's being hyped up.
1: Yeah, and I think... Possibly there is a chance that social media is higher on him than NBA execs. Um, If you look at ESPN's draft, their their mock that they put out yesterday, he is sliding a little bit. And, uh, you know, you had seen him mocked four to the Kings, like you said, but it looks like they have him falling down to seven, which if, if, you know, their, you know, mock is based off of Intel. For him to slide after basically doing the same thing everybody else did that, that could be somewhat of a red flag.
0: Yeah. And the the next guy I want to talk about is someone else that I think is on a, a fairly similar trajectory. And that's AJ Griffin. Mm-hmm. Who I've also seen a little more consensus on, on falling a little more at, at some point along the, the college basketball season. I saw him more in that, that five, six range. What, where do you stand on, on A.J. Griffin, specifically in this sort of upside swing idea that we were just talking about with Shaden Sharp?
1: Well, he's younger. Um, you know, I mean, I think for him, his draft range is totally going to be based off of how his medical records turn out, which, you know, it, it's not, I'm not saying anything that we don't already know. Um, but he's, he has a specific skill set that you know that he brings to the table. You know he is a very good shooter. So, what, like 45% from three this year? So, you know at least he has that. But all the concerns are going to be about, you know, the lower leg injuries and – um you know, if if there's any red flags on his, his medical history. But if, he, if everything comes out good and, and the teams feel confident that it's just bad luck, there's no structural damage, there's no long-term issues, then, I mean, he could go as high as four.
0: Which would be really interesting. And I think the, the difference between Sharp and A.J. Griffin, I, I think people believe in the A.J. Griffin upside, right? He gets some of the explosion back that, He appeared to have lost with the injury, and he has that high upside that he theoretically always had. But the floor is still a lights-out shoot.
1: Yeah. And I never saw him as, like, this explosive athlete. I think that he can make plays above the rim with the runway, but I never – and this was even prior to – to last you know this season. I just never thought that he played athletic. His game isn't based off of athleticism, which in a sense you can say that helped him out because he can shoot. You know, if if he were a guy that couldn't shoot and everything was just based off of being athletic, then I mean that would leave me really concerned. But I think he'll be fine, especially if the medicals turn out good.
0: I also think he does have, you know, when you look at the specific contextual situation that he had at Duke. You can see that there is more to offer than what his role was, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? He fit into that role, and that does show. In the NBA, he can probably fit into that role pretty easily, pretty quickly. But there's developmental upside with, I guess, my my big question on AJ Griffin and why I struggle with him is his on-ball creation.
1: Yeah, I think that he didn't really get a chance to fully showcase everything that he has in this toolbox because, um, you know, they brought him along a little slowly. It was Ben Carroll's team. By the time he got there, Trevor kills was rolling. And so I think he settled into a, a, a role to help the team. So we'll, I mean, I guess we won't, he probably won't do much in, in workouts, but I do think he has more to offer than, than uh, what we, what we saw.
0: Yeah, and and that's, I think, to me, if I were to really make the case for A.J. Griffin, that would be it right there. He just wasn't given a ton of opportunity for that. And -hmm. still, obviously, had a very successful season. You said, I mean, shooting 45% is just extremely impressive. I know he's being classified as this elite, potentially generational shooter. I don't know if I would go that far, but the shooting is going to be there.
1: Yeah, I mean, we hope. Right, of course,
0: of That's course. Then we
1: hope, but I mean, I'm a believer in it.
0: Obviously, anything can can happen, but the shooting gives you that sort of upside or that sort of floor for a three and D player. I don't know if I necessarily believe in the defense. Where do you stand on that?
1: Um, I mean, he's 18, so I'm gonna give him a, a pass for the, I guess, lack of defense in a sense. But I think he also fell into the trap of what most guys do even in the nba if you have a great rim protector protector behind you i think there is a tendency to feel like all right if i get blown by then this guy's gonna clean it up which can help get me some transition baskets i mean we see it in utah i mean how many times has the jazz defenders just kind of didn't even seem like they made great effort because they know, all right, Rudy is back there to clean it up. And uh, so I, I can't say, maybe there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, maybe not the same effort that you would give if you didn't have, you know, Mark Williams there, but he's so young. And I'm I'm going to give him a pass on that. because I think he has the tools.
0: Yeah. And that's why I think it's between the medical history and his age the team that drafts him is going to be really important for that developmental timeline. Yeah. Which is always always the case, but I think specifically with with Shane Sharp and, and AJ Griffin, those situations are going to matter significantly with how they're, they're put in, in their early, early years in the NBA, but it's going to be very interesting to see the the next guy I want to talk about you had in your last mock draft right after those two prospects. And that is Benedict Matherin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the minimum, you got a three and D guy, even though, you know, defensively he's solid. I mean, he's not as good as you would want him to be because he has the tools to be a really, really disruptive defender. But uh, I think at the very minimum three and D guy that scores in transition But I also feel like he has some upside as a playmaker, as a passer, as someone that can um, score off the dribble. Um, But there are some concerns, and I had mentioned it. I mentioned it somewhere. I think it's maybe on on my last mock that you know I have heard some scouts or one particular scout said that he thinks that he'd be at his best playing. In the Western conference with the team that gets up and down the floor, as opposed to the Eastern conference where it's a lot more half court basketball. And when I did a deeper dive into his numbers, it was a significant drop off and his shooting in the half court was, it, it was a little bit alarming when you consider that he is ex- supposed to be a shooter. If that is supposed to be his greatest asset on offense.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting note. And when you look at that sort of, again, the the contextual situation just changes the idea of a prospect ceiling so significantly where, what, what is his role going to be? Because if he's in a, a fast paced team where he's just uh, eating off transition and, and that, that will absolutely change his role offensively. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think like he only shot like 26% on unguarded catch and shoot jumpers in the half court. That's kind of concerning.
0: <laughs> yeah. But overall, I mean, again, he, he shot 38% in his career at Arizona. So yeah, yeah. what does that say that if he shot 26% in, in catch and shoot in the half court, what did he shoot on everything else?
1: Yeah. It's just, it's like Chet's Chet's numbers are crazy considering that he did most of his damage as a shooter in transition. And I mean, I, I I'd have to look it up, but I think Chet shot like 39% from three, but in the half court, his numbers were all in the mid to low thirties as far as jump shots. In but I mean, he may have shot like 60% from three in transition, to make up for it and the transition three-point attempts he was either the trailer or he got the rebound and and pushed it up court and then if you really take a deeper dive I know we're talking about wings but if you take a deeper dive into Chet's numbers he had like a streak in conference play where he made like 52 percent of his threes and then that just kind of pushed the numbers up to to where he was at 39 and so with Matherin I think, um, you know, if he was knocking down threes and transition as the trailer or, or, you know, running to the corner, then, you know, it, I mean, the numbers are the numbers, right? So, and you can make the numbers work in your favor, or you, or if you dislike a player, you can make the numbers prove why you dislike the guy, uh, but you know, he had over 256 attempts from three in his two-year career at Arizona, and 38% overall is good. It's just, you know, like I say, you take a deeper dive into the numbers. You see that that there are some some a little bit of concern there.
0: And that was also playing in a very specific offense at Arizona that had the third-highest scoring team in the country, averaged – 84 points a game, which is really, really high in college basketball, especially in, in the Pac 12, you know, elite competition. And ran, I mean, Matherin ran off a ton of screens. Yeah. And they had a very specific offensive system that allowed some of that creation, but based off of, they had a lot of threats. And they could really open up the court with a lot of spacing and, and spread it out and, and create that for him. That yeah. is, some, you know, I think that matters when you're looking at some of those numbers, right. Compared to let's use Johnny Davis as an example. We brought up earlier, Johnny Davis was in a, <laughs> I don't want to say a, a bad team, but wasn't a ton of talent around him and most of his offense was based off of just self-creation yeah when you look at that compared to someone like benedict matherin who was in a very good fit for him at college i think that changes some of those how those numbers look for me personally
1: yeah yeah i mean context is is key and um uh, and also the conference i mean the big 10 conference is not a conference where guys are going to really be getting up and down the floor so it's a more physical conference than the pack 10 and um yeah i mean it's it, it's crazy because the the concern about johnny davis is the three-point shooting and it's supposed to be mapped around strength and so um I'll probably sometime this week do a, a deeper dive into Johnny Davis's numbers and see how he shot in the half court compared to some of the other guys that are labeled as shooters.
0: Yeah, and I think personally what jumps out to me on, on Johnny Davis, on John, Johnny Davis's film, is just his ability to to make tough shots.
1: Yeah, he's a tough shot taker and maker.
0: Things were not easy for him. Yeah. And there was a ton of defensive focus on him.
1: Yep. And definitely. he was
0: still still able to put up crazy numbers. Now, does that, you know, if everything you're taking is a tough shot, does that mean you're not able to create easy shots or does that speak more to his ability to to make those? I think those are very interesting conversations.
1: Yeah, and I also feel like he can score without taking the tough shots. I mean, he he'll post up smaller guards. He's an active cutter. He just plays so hard. I think that he will be able to manufacture buckets without being like this tough shot taker isolation guy. And he he may be somebody that's even, I don't want to say better in the NBA, but with a reduced role where he's not the main focus of the offense, he could end up being something special.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And it's funny that we didn't even have Johnny Davis on the on the docket to talk about it. I just I can't have this conversation without talking about him. I'm glad you brought him up. I mean, I, I really love Johnny Davis. I, I think I, – I don't understand why he's not valued in the same way as these other guys we're talking about.
1: I think it's because his game looks like it's more suited for the 90s. A lot of mid-range shots, a lot of tough shots, um, 30% shooter from three. And I think there may be some concerns of is his game suited – for him to be the man as opposed to, like, a complementary player. And so, um, you know, analytically, if, if a guy relies on, you know, a shot that people think is not the most efficient shot, then it is going to draw some concern. But at the end of the day, man, he's just a ball player. He puts the ball in the basket. You have to love the jump that he made from freshman to a sophomore year. And he rebounds like a big. I mean, I like guys that you know you know you're gonna get consistent effort from every night. And I think that's something that you know you're gonna get from Johnny Davis. You know you're gonna get effort. You know he's gonna play hard. And like I said earlier, I just think he can find ways to manufacture baskets without necessarily being this guy that needs a a crazy amount of volume to score.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. Unlike some of these other guys, like again Shaden Sharp and AJ Griffin specifically that I'm worried about that development and and the fit. I think Johnny Davis, you put him on any team in the NBA and he can succeed. You think he can succeed with the Knicks? Johnny Davis? Yeah. He is my ideal pick at 11.
1: Why? (laughs) I'm looking at the Knicks. If if Johnny Davis is um, an average three-point shooter, R.J. Barrett is probably below league average, Where's that floor spacing coming from?
0: And, and with I mean, that's the that's the good. I'm glad you brought that up because the Knicks don't have a lot of spacing and their current roster construction is messy, right? And assuming, you know, if they don't move off Randall, Randall and, and RJ don't create a lot of spacing, Tibbs still plays a, a traditional five. So now you're looking at three non-shooters in a lineup
1: boxes and elbows that's how he defended
0: but johnny davis is exactly what they need defensively next to rj barrett and i think it does i mean rj needs shooters next to him but if you let's say it's aj griffin at 11 is his role that different than evan fournier
1: uh, I mean, Evan is, I think, better at creating his own shot. And, I mean, it's quite a 10-year difference, too. Well, <laughs> so, no,
0: no, of, of yeah. course. But I'm just saying within the role of, of the team, right? They they tried to create that that shooting. I do really think they need another player next to RJ that can create. Yeah. And I would really like Johnny Davis just because I believe in, in the work ethic so much, and Tibbs doesn't have the best reputation for – Playing younger guys.
1: See, I think Johnny Davis to New York would be a bad fit because and I can't sit here and say I watch a ton of Knicks basketball, but you know, one of the knocks I've always had on RJ Barry, and I like RJ, and I thought RJ was gonna be a stud, which you know he he still has a chance to be, but he just didn't have that bag in a sense, a lot of offensive creativity, a lot of straight line drives, bully ball, and I don't think Johnny, da- Johnny Davis has a lot of offensive creativity either. Now he is a creative scorer in a sense because he can make tough shots, but to me I don't see both of the, I don't see either guy as someone that that can generate really easy looks for themselves or for others. And that's just my opinion.
0: And I think that's why a lot of the fan base wants Matherin. Yeah. And I think a for lot the of fan people,
1: base, Knicks fan base wants <laughs> a lot of people. they hate a lot of people too. It's well, such a huge fan base that, that, uh, you know, either way you're, you're going to have a lot of supporters and all that, but yeah, well, maybe Matherin is a, you know, maybe more of a complimentary guy for RJ. I, I don't,
0: don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but right now Knicks fans are just having a frenzy over this, uh, speculated, uh, idea of trading, Eleven up to four to take Jaden Ivey with the Kings.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't heard that one. I don't know what the Kings would want to move up.
0: Gavoni, uh, I'm not gonna say he predicted it. He said it as his uh, surprise guess of guess of what could happen. He's he said that yesterday, and, and Knicks fans have been running wild with that.
1: Yeah, I just don't see what Sacramento would want.
0: I mean, as an as a Knicks fan, I think I want Sacramento to want Julius Randle.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I just heard about something uh, from a, a reliable source that um, you know the Kings possibly will move that pick, but it was it wasn't the Knicks.
0: The Kings, I think, are really the biggest wild card in the, in this draft, and especially with these guys we're talking about. I mean. This was always looked at as a four-man draft class, or whatever you want to call it, three and a half man class, with with Ivy in that sp- tier right in between the the big three in this class, and then everybody else. It doesn't make sense to me for the Kings to take Ivy. So whether it's a guy like AJ Griffin or a guy like Shaden Sharp or just moving the pick, there's been rumblings of them moving it to two to. Oklahoma city, or yeah. I've seen moving down to a couple of different teams. Again, the, the Knicks are just the newest and a lot of, a lot of rumblings that will continue to get in this smoke screen, you know, timeline leading up to the draft. But I think it's, it's super interesting specifically with these, these high upside kind of swings that somebody could, could fall in love with at four.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I did hear the Oklahoma City one also.
0: But I think those are the three that are likely top 10, right? Of this, that specific, also that clear archetype of of a wing scorer and and a shooting, you know, creator, I guess, whatever you want to say there. Yeah. Varying degrees. Um, The last two guys I want to talk about are a little lower ceiling and probably not in that range, but specifically the next guy I want to talk about, someone I wrote about that I've seen falling and, and I'm not necessarily sure I understand why, and that's Ochai Ogbaje.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the, one of the first articles I did on NBA Big Board is that he, he could be this year's Desmond Bain you know the numbers are there and it's just the way teams look you know if they have 4 years on you then they're they're more so pointing out your your flaws than than your strengths and they may think that you don't have the same upside and he may not be the the sexiest pick which i think benefits him like if he falls i think it helps him out because the further he goes the the better team that he goes to that already has their their star and he is, to me, like your your ideal complimentary player to support a star. So if he falls to, I'm just saying off the top of my head, to like a Memphis or not necessarily Memphis, I'm sorry, Milwaukee or Denver or Dallas, one of those teams that already has their primary ball handler and scorer, then all he has to do is knock down open shots and run in transition and play defense. Then I, I think that, you know, that that's best for him as opposed to going to a team where he may have to create his own shot, because I think that's one of his weaknesses is that he's not really a shot creator. So I think he's going to be best with a team that has someone that can get him open looks.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I know in your mock, you had him at at 24 to Milwaukee. I know uh, in the ESPN mock yesterday, they had him going 15 to Charlotte. Another, another fit that's similar to what you said. They have a clear guy. They have Lamelo, and they're just trying to to build around him. When I wrote about Baji a couple of weeks ago, I called him one of the the safest bets in the, in the class. I I don't know. I find that tough to value because I really struggle to see him not being an NBA rotation player. I I think the skill set on both sides of the ball is clear enough that he's going to be able to to help. I also struggle to see him getting to an all-star caliber role because of that lack of creation. And I I think he is just so much better suited to a complementary role.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, it just depends on how you look at it. You know, On one hand, you can look at it and say, well... Most of the best players in college basketball were 18 or 19 years old. And he was two years older than the guy. So he's supposed to be good. He's supposed to stand out. He's supposed to, you know, be one of the best players. And then there's the other hand where you say, well, this guy has gotten better every single year and he just chose to develop in college as opposed to developing in the NBA. So like any prospect, it's an acquired taste. I think that, some teams may say, well, yeah, he is the safest bet, but I think there are some general managers that are like, we know who he is. I think I want upside. And this goes back to, again, it can go to Shaden Sharp. What has Shaden Sharp done <laughs> to prove that he should be drafted over Ocha Agbaji? There's a sexiness to prospects that helps them get drafted. I mean, you know, you look at 2020, Hokushevsky was drafted ahead of Desmond Bain. Pokashevsky didn't have a resume. And if he ends up being as good as Desmond Bain has been for Memphis years down the road, it still shows that Bain should have been the better pick. So I, I think Akbaji could fall just because he has a four-year resume and teams feel like they know exactly who he is.
0: Yeah, and, and age does matter right? Whether you, you think it should or it shouldn't. We've seen that clearly impact guys falling and and where they're taken. And, you know, we're talking about guys who are 18 and 19, right? Playing the same position with Shaden Sharp and AJ Griffin compared to Baji who's 22. So I, I guess that's just a, a personal feeling of how, how that matters. I know the idea of how old they'll be is always kind of funny to me after multiple contracts, right? Well, what, what would they be at their third contract? The Knicks haven't had a guy sign a contract past the rookie deal since Charlie Ward. Oh, Oh, Abaji could be 70. If he's still playing for the Knicks, that's a huge win. They haven't had anyone to play it till they're 28.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that goes to, I think a lot of that has to do obviously ownership management, and I'm just thinking when you're in such a big market, you don't really, guys don't always have the time to really develop. You know, it's, uh, it's almost better in a sense from a basketball standpoint to be in a smaller market where you can develop guys as opposed to New York. You know, they're always going to be in rumors to package somebody to try to get the next superstar that is available in free agency, whether they get them or not they are going to like really swing for the fences while, you know, a team like Oklahoma city knows like, we're not getting Durant. We're not getting Kyrie. We're not getting Kawhi or any of those guys. So we're not even clearing out the cap space to try to create room for those guys. So,
0: yeah. uh, Those expectations matter for development, right? Because you're allowed to be bad. Yeah. The, The Knicks are unintentionally bad a lot of the time.
1: Hey, Dolan is winning in in the where it matters the most. The Knicks are the most valuable franchise, and that that that's, part of the <laughs> that's bragging rights for you, right? Let's. It's it. part that's, of the problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I, it, the funny thing is, you know, I always say the NBA is a business first. Business first, basketball second, right? No matter how much the fans think it's about basketball, it's about business. If it's strictly about basketball all the time, then you wouldn't be seeing like cost-cutting moves or anything like that. So Dolan is winning in the game of business. He is, the I don't know how many years in a row that he's, he's, he's led. So it's not all bad for him, maybe for Knicks fans, but at the end of the day, Knicks fans and their passion is making his pockets even fatter.
0: Which again, I will always admit I'm part of the problem. Because no matter how angry I get at this team or or Dolan or anything, I can't quit him.
1: Yeah. And if you do, there's some kid that's like eight years old that his dad is the Knicks fan, and now he's turning to an avid Knicks fan. Because if you're a, a Knicks fan right now and you're in your 40s, you haven't seen a championship, you know, and you're still a Knicks fan. So if you're a Knicks fan in your 20s, you don't remember the last time the Knicks went to the the finals. I mean, if you do, you're pretty young.
0: Yeah, I mean, my dad is in his 60s, and the, the Knicks last won a title when he was 11.
1: Yeah, so... (laughs)
0: <laughs> There's a lot of gap. You, you have 50-year-olds that have never seen the Knicks win a title.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, they, Dolan is winning in, in the pocketbooks. And so, that has to count for something. They got to put some type of banners up for him there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. There's one last guy I want to talk about. And it's it's interesting, especially in comparison to Igbaji. Igbaji is the most known quantity in, in the draft. I think you could just about say he's played as many minutes at Kansas as, you know, anyone in the very storied history. Yeah. The Kansas Jayhawks. He won a title. He competed. He's won every award you can think of, right. Final four most outstanding player. He, he is what he is and he's kind of been that from the whole season. The next guy I want to talk about has just been rising exponentially and was not known by the masses was not covered by the mainstream media was, is not necessarily out there for, for people who aren't involved in the, the draft world. And that is Santa Clara's Jalen Williams.
1: Yeah. I like him a lot. I mean, I would take him as high as 14 or maybe even as high as 13. Um, you know, 6'6", can handle the ball, can pass, can score, shot it well. Super long, too. Super long, 7'2", wingspan, Um, athletic. And I, I think that – yeah, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but he really, really, really impressed me at the combine because he was one of the few guys that – wanted to play, wanted to compete. There are guys that I think that didn't even have the same, that didn't even have the same floor as him as far as coming into the combine and they chose not to compete. And he came out, competed, played well, um, let the game come to him, which is kind of rare in, in those combine type tryout settings. Usually guys have a tendency to try to force things to show that you know, you know, just it's, it, I think it's just natural to try to, you know, be impressive because you have, you know, jobs on the line, millions of dollars that potentially could be on the line. But he let the game come to him, show that, you know, he can play effectively when he's not like the man. You know, sometimes I think there can be a struggle if you come from a smaller conference and you're used to playing with guys that aren't as talented as you and then you have to blend in and play with a bunch of guys that are, you know, high-level college players, but again, like I said, he let the game come to him, shot the ball extremely well. I think that he's going to be really good, and like I said, I would take him as high as 13 or or 14. I mean, if I'm Charlotte or Cleveland, he would be a guy that I would target.
0: Yeah, do you think, because I know in your mock, you referenced a scout that said they've heard him anywhere from mid-first to Mm early-second. Do you say he has the the most uh, varying range of any of these prospects we're talking about? Uh,
1: as far as what you're talking about today,
0: maybe, I mean,
1: I Baji, actually it could be AJ Griffin, depending on his medicals. You know, if his medicals aren't good, then it could be, <laughs> it could be, uh, you know, he could fall. And I, I jokingly said in a, a unless uh, I did so many podcasts yesterday, uh, spaces that, if there is one team that is going to have access to AJ Griffin's medical records, it would be the Knicks. (laughs) So, um, so he could, uh, I mean, it could be a landing spot there, even if it doesn't, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think that Williams does have a a wide range, but if it were me, like I said, I would, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't go too far past 16 or
0: 17.
1: Yeah, Especially if like Chicago, for example, I think, think that with the potential of Levine leaving, then that could open up a spot. I think they need like another, another, uh, another wing.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of interesting teams in that range, right. That are looking at this type of, of player, whether you know it's any of these guys we mentioned or a Blake Wesley type that I think we could see a run, especially if some of those guys go early, if we don't, you know, If Sharp goes early, and then Adia Griffin also goes early, now you're looking at someone's got to take the next guy early, and and you see that sort of domino effect. I think it'll be a really interesting draft night. I think this this class, more than any I can remember, has so much uncertainty. Yeah, and so much variance in in the ranges of of prospects, and I think once you get past a certain number, there's another, you know there's a, a dozen different players that could be the realistic 14th pick of the draft, 15th pick of the draft.
1: Yeah. I, I think 15 to 35, it may not be too much difference. If there's a guy that goes 15, I wouldn't be too surprised. And if that same guy falls at 35, I don't think I'll be too surprised either. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an acquired taste and, um, and I just don't think there's that much of a difference between you know, late mid first round and, and early, early second.
0: Yeah. And I think that just makes a, a really interesting draft because it will reflect so much on draft philosophy for teams, right? Do you guys want to take the higher upside guys? Do they want to take the best fit? Do they just want to take the the safest pick?
1: Yeah. Think- it's just going to be, uh, like I said, it's going to be an acquired taste and I mean, draft night is interesting and there's so many guys that seem like they feel like they have first round guarantees or first round floors. And based off of the combine, you know, I mean, 40 of my top 60 guys didn't play at the combine. There's aren't, there aren't 40 guys getting drafted in the first round. So it's, um, I mean, there's going to be some agents getting fired on draft and I can tell you that much.
0: Right. I was, I was talking yesterday about, uh, Dale and Terry, who I think is one of those prospects, right on that sort of fence between the the first and second. Yep. Uh, when when Woj announced he was staying in the draft, it was like referring to him as a first round pick. I'm like that's interesting. I mean,
1: he, yeah, he may. I mean, you know, Caleb Houston could. I have no clue what's going on there. So it, it's, uh, it's going to be a very interesting draft night. But, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of agents getting getting fired.
0: Yeah, which is always always fun to just kind of, uh, from an evaluation standpoint, to just see those different things. And you were talking about Desmond Bain, a, a great example of just the, the perfect fit and the perfect situation. So we'll, we'll see what happens, and we'll see if any of these guys that we talked about become the next Desmond Bain we're we're gonna root for him and I appreciate you coming on and 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 chatting with me about this draft class. I loved having you. It's it's a real honor for me.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for reaching out. I enjoyed it too. Um, I mean it's always fun talking basketball. <laughs> and like I enjoy this. Like, you know, they say that, you know, when you are when you do something that you love, it's not work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me it's not work. And talking basketball, this is something that I' dreamed about doing as a kid. I'm just thankful for the platform that people are reaching out to me and, and want to hear my opinions. And so I'm always grateful for that opportunity. So um, yeah, just, you know,
0: you want me on again? Just let me know. I appreciate that. I will take you up on that. Anything you want to plug before I let you go?
1: Yeah, mean, you can find my work on NBABigBoard.com. I released a second round mock today and then um, I'll, I'll update it tomorrow. And I don't know when this airs, but I'll, I'll update it as soon as... You know, we get the list of who's staying in school, who's leaving. So it it'd be fluid this week. And then I have the Locked On Big Board podcast. That's five days a week. I usually host at least four. I'm supposed to host five, but my schedule's been a little crazy, traveling in and out of hotels and Wi-Fi and all of that. But um you can find me there, locked on big board, and then Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-E-500 on Twitter. And um you know, I I need to get a little bit more active on Twitter. I mean, I'm on there all the time, but I just haven't had time to really post, um, you know, videos like I used to. But I, I definitely plan on getting back at it since uh, we're we're within the we're in draft month now.
0: Yeah, and then again, highly recommend following Rafael on, on all of those things he's talking about. Also, go to his YouTube channel and and watch some of the old older player evaluations he's done from the guys in this class you won't regret it but that is all i have for today this was this was an absolute blast so thank you for coming on and we will catch you next week